Ahoy authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Alyssa Archer. Welcome to episode 26 of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts. And I'm Alyssa Archer. With this podcast, we want to help you edit your way into a great book. If you'd like to find out more about Writership or us, you can find us on the web at writership.org. The Writership Podcast is brought to you by the Author Marketing Institute as part of the AMI Podcast Network. You can learn more about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Are you looking for more five-star reviews of your book? Of course you are. Become a premium member at Author Marketing Club and get access to their award-winning reviewer grabber tool. Find top-tier Amazon reviewers for your books in minutes. Check it out at www.authormarketingclub.com. Hey, Leslie. Hey, Lisa. <laughs> How's it going? What's tickling your fancy these days? Oh, you know what? I want to talk about story ideas today because I had something come up that like that blew my mind. Um, and uh, so it's good to, of course, keep writing new stories, keep uh, playing in the sandbox, as we've talked about before. Our prompt books are a great place, of course, to start looking and exploring story ideas. Um, but then I also, yesterday, I was listening to a podcast, the Missed in History podcast. And uh, it was an older episode, but it was about The Billion Dollar Spy, which is a book by David Hoffman. And in that, he talks about this spy, and I don't have all the details in my head right now. I should have looked that up, but I'll include the link in the show notes. Um, and this, just listening to this podcast had me thinking about 20 different story ideas. It was just crazy situations. Um, so I want to recommend that people keep you know, keep exploring, keep stretching, keep listening to new things, because you just never know when the idea for your next book is going to smack you upside the head. So true. You know, I'm a fan of odd news stories. Like I'm always combing for funky archaeological finds and different um, scientific articles that come up and just, or are there some um, kind of picture um journeys through abandoned castles and things oh, like that yeah. that just come yeah they do that for me they they get me going with new ideas and it's fun and i think you can train your brain to be on the lookout for new ideas people who feel like they never they are afraid that they won't know where their next idea is going to come from you can train your brain much like you train you can write your dreams down when you wake up and train yourself to remember them. You can train your brain to come up with creative ideas. Yeah. Very and cool. Since we're in that business. It's a good <laughs> skill to cultivate. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, shall we dig in? Yeah, let's. All right. So the quote of the week comes from William Zinzer. A clear sentence is no accident. 
Short and sweet. Again, Short and sweet. William Sinzer. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. I mean, yes. Totally agree that um, the, and I think other people have longer quotes that say you can, you know, like, it's not hard to write a convoluted sentence. You, it's, it's really hard to be precise and say what you mean in fewer words um, and make it very precise and clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm writing a book right now and I'm not going to say who the author is or the title, but that it feels like much of the language is really bloated. And had they gone in with those pruning shears and tightened it, the whole story would be lighter for it and more accessible. And those, the clarity in sentences is a welcome thing to the reader. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. All right. Shall we get started with the submission? Sure. Sure. <clears throat> Today's uh, today we're looking at a paranormal mystery called The Messengers by Anthony Greer. This is published and it's this um, is from the first chapter of today's submission. So thank you so much, Anthony, for submitting The Messengers to us. Robert. Robert Basilton had a hard time looking at his girlfriend without staring at the sable haze of the messenger looming in the hallway shadows. Its eyes were absent in a pair of harrowing sockets as black as a starless sky. Its skull protruded through a dark mist that filled the hall. Its presence could paralyze the bravest of souls. But Robert knew that the message it would bear was worse than the messenger itself someone else was going to die. What are you thinking? Julia asked, pleading for a way to start a conversation. Robert spent most of dinner facing the lukewarm meatloaf and mashed potatoes that his mother made the day prior, before going to her second job. He had taken three bites before feeding the rest to the still silence in the room. It was hard to eat while knowing he was about to receive the same message he had received twice already. Robert? Julia's hand quivered until she hid it underneath the table. She kept her other hand busy, portioning an even ratio of meatloaf and mashed potatoes on her fork. She raised it to her mouth, but didn't eat it. Instead, she kept looking at him, waiting for some semblance of a response. Or nothing. I'm not thinking of anything. Julia grimaced. Her paling face was counteracted only by her soft red lips. She took a bite of her meatloaf and slowly chewed it, and he could see that she was running through her index of potential conversation starters. Robert only hoped that her new subject would be less mundane. He had no desire to talk any further about classes or school. Pastor Gordon wants me to teach the kids Sunday school lesson this week, she said with a smile. She was always smiling when she was doing charity work. Tonight, her philanthropic duties involved filling the emptiness that usually accompanied his meal after the blur of lipstick and heels he referred to as mom left for work. He didn't usually mind Julia's company. After all, Julia was much nicer to look at than a vacant rickety chair or the messenger. Her big brown eyes and sandy brown hair reminded him of a Disney princess, 
but he was hardly the prince to give Julia her happily ever after, and tonight was no fairy tale. Are you even listening? she asked as her smile faded. That's, uh, that's great. He forced himself into an oafish, cheesy grin to feign an emotion that he couldn't feel. He pondered how much the presence of the messenger had affected their conversation. Probably not as much as it should have. Yeah. Her wide, hopeful eyes begged for him to inquire more about it. He took another bite of his meatloaf and kept chewing it much longer than necessary. Even after it dissolved into nothingness, his, in his mouth he continued to chew on his own saliva. Would you like to go? she asked. Hmm? You know, um, go see the lesson? He put his hand over his mouth and mumbled as he swallowed. I've, uh, I've got a thing that day. Oh, yes, of course. He watched as a hand reached into her throat and took the words right out of her. A thing. More silence. At any moment, someone's death clock is going to tick toward zero. Who will the third victim be? Robert thought. Julia stood up abruptly, blushing as she caught his attention. She carefully picked her plate up from the table so that none of the contents would slip off. She approached the garbage can and dumped the majority of the meatloaf out before turning on the sink faucet. Don't, Robert said. I'll wash it. You're okay, Julia. You've done your good deeds for the day. No, that's all right. Her voice was barely audible over the sink. She rinsed her dish and then put it in the dishwasher next to the other plates that had been victims of previous awkward dinners at the Basildon res residence. I'm going to go. I should get to bed soon. The microwave clock read 8.23. Kay? She lingered by the sink just a few feet from the front door. He felt her prolonged stare as he sat with his feet glued to the dated sepia-tiled floor. He couldn't get up without acknowledging the other presences in the room. The house was busy that night. The spirits outnumbered those who were living. See you at school tomorrow? Julia was still there, bearing the same expression that his father gave his mother when he was alive. A pair of doe-like eyes, widened and watery, quietly begging for an exchange of affection. The Basilton family was known for consisting of two kinds of people, the budding socialites who brought families and friends together and the wallflowers who shut out the world. He and his mother were one in the same. Julia muttered a meek, bye, and crossed through the front door. He saw her silhouette stop at the top of the front porch stairs, but then she trudged down the steps and disappeared from view. Robert found himself alone with his cold meatloaf and the messenger, with nothing but Julia's car pulling out of the driveway to drown out the silence. He stabbed his fork into the butchered slice of once rectangular meat like an explorer would with a flag on uncharted ground. There was no longer a reason to feign enjoying his meal. He never liked meatloaf, but it was easier to pretend that he had eaten it than it was to suggest to his mother that she make something else. Her night shifts made her irritable, not that she was in a good mood before. Even so, Robert would have preferred her company over what currently filled the house. 
The messenger's skull became more prominent than it had been when Julia was in the room. It was protruding from its shadowy haven, covering the entire hallway entrance with its sheer mass. The outlines of the shadow swayed the way a black cloak would if met with a sudden gust of wind. The sound of the fridge cooling coils covered the silence mustered up between him and the messenger, but he couldn't spend the rest of his awful night having a staring contest. Robert knew he had to approach it, but when he did, he would be told of another funeral, future funeral. With a deep breath, Robert rose to his feet and took a step in the direction of death's courier. His foot pressed slowly on the kitchen tile. He could hear every crease in his shoe as if he were walking out of a movie theater that had been littered with buttered popcorn. With each step, his pulse became a little louder. He wanted to grip his heart before approaching the messenger, out of the fear that, that it could reach through his rib cage and rip it from his chest. He had to look almost straight up at the swarthy skull before him. He trapped in his throat whatever courage he had left and spoke as bravely as he could. Are you going to tell me or what? The messenger peered down at him, revealing the traces of a smirk and charcoal rotten teeth. A bee-like buzz overcame the silence and kitchen lights flashed, then went out. The entire house darkened as if a power surge had tripped the breaker, and Robert was left with nothing but the ethereal, cerulean glow of the moon to guide him. The messenger didn't like his attitude. His heart bounced against his bones and goosebumps ran up his skin. It was as if an icy finger had caressed the discs of his spine. Robert took a step back from the obscurity that he could no longer see. Then he took a second, allowing his feet to be coated in the ghostly glow of the sun's cousin. He spun around to acknowledge the transparent teenage girl and the old woman that his back had been facing during the meal. The moon's glow coated them with a set of hazy outlines, emphasizing their bleak realities. They were no longer a girl and an old woman, but the first two victims of crimes he had yet to understand. Do you really want another person to go through this? He asked them. The two remained as silent as they had always been. The girl had her face on the floor and whimpered quietly to herself. The old woman's mouth was slightly ajar and the corners of her lips turned downward. The hair on the nape of his neck stood straight on end as the messenger glided behind him. His body froze in its icy embrace, as if its frosted, bony fingers were reaching through his chest and pricking fractals of his soul. The skull contorted downward until the messenger's maggot-encrusted jaw was nearly pressed up against his ear. It spoke in a guttural tone that should have been difficult to comprehend, but he heard its voice loud and clear. Murder. Robert shuddered. He didn't want to look at death's courier, not when it was so close to him. God only knew what sort of unholy displeasure resided within the twin pools of finality where eyes should have been. They would scorch an image into his mind that would resurface every time he closed his eyes until the day death came to add him to his registry. Who's going to be murdered? The chills went away. The lights flickered back on. The courier had relayed the message and left him alone to deal with it. Robert focused on the old woman. The girl seemed inconsolable, 
So, if anything, the old woman was most likely his best bet. The last time he had received the murder message, the girl didn't do anything but sob. He spent 20 minutes trying to get her to speak, but to no avail. Maybe the old woman, being the more recent of the two victims, would say something. He got within a foot of her transparent body. She grimaced and hid behind her heavy pink shawl. If she wasn't dead, she would have looked amusing with it draped around her morning gown with beige slippers to match. But Robert could find no humor when peering into the eyes of the deceased. Who's going to be murdered? The old woman gave him a blank stare, as if he had asked her the question in a foreign language. You must know something. She remained quiet, but her eyes grew more somber while the girl continued to cry. It had been a week since he last pushed for either of them to communicate with him. After all of his efforts, he was beginning to ponder whether or not they even could. Do you really want someone else to die? As soon as he spoke, a tear rolled from her right eye. She faded away before he could protest. He motioned toward the girl, but her hysterics had overtaken her, and she vanished before he could reach her. For the first time all day, he was alone. Julia had left him awkwardly. His mother wouldn't be home until the early morning. His father would never be home again. The messenger spoke of a murder-to-be, and the spirits had failed to be useful. Without company or a desire to eat any more, he left the kitchen and entered his living room where the walls were stripped of photos of a once happy family. His mother had taken most of the Basilton family photos down after the accident. She preferred to pretend that his father had not existed rather than look at the past and dwell on better times. He turned on the television where, for the next several hours, images and storylines blurred together in his mind. It was always easier to ignore what wasn't in his control. Another benign day of school ahead, his decaying relationships with everyone around him, and the knowledge that someone was about to die and there was nothing he could do about it. All right. I love the way you said murder. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. I always enjoy your readings. (laughs) Thank you. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is a really intriguing story. um, And I am curious about how it unfolds after this. It's a, you know, this, you know, we have an interesting setup with this young man who can see death's messenger and he can also see spirits and um so it's, it's, very firmly in genre yes yes paranormal mystery um so yeah definitely in genre um we have some suggestions for this author um one of the our main suggestions is the, is to have more happening more actually happening in these first few pages um so robert's having dinner with his girlfriend the messenger and the spirits are kind of hanging around messenger delivers his message um robert tries to get some information from the spirits um, and that that on the surface that sounds like a lot but we spend a lot of time in robert's head and experience his repetitive thoughts um about you know someone else is gonna die everything's pretty bleak and um and he's 
yeah, and he's having some, you know, the same thoughts kind of over and over again. Um, I I suggest that the the reader will be more is more likely to be hooked um, if you can include more action and more telling details, which I know you're going to cover, Alyssa. Um, it might be interesting to have a hint about why Robert can see the message. Um, and to have the message be something more than just murder, something, you know, give him a little bit of agency, maybe. Like, I mean, it's good to have the question, why is he, why this guy? Um, but we also need enough to kind of pull us through and to help us make sense of what's happening. Yeah, I think with all of that build up toward the messenger and who the messenger is, it was pretty disappointing to have that be the entirety of the message and for Robert to be then so frustrated. Um, I, I think that I agree. It feels like there's a lot going on, but Robert is a pretty disengaged from it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think just in maybe even enhancing what's there would help. Right. Right. Uh, there seems to be an awful lot of time devoted to that meatloaf for there being so many ghosts in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, who knows, the meatloaf might actually turn out to be more important later. But, uh, but uh, yes, I agree. There's a lot of meatloaf there. Um, and that brings me to my next point, um, next suggestion, is um, that might actually help the first, uh, the first issue. Um, the, you know, this author has a really strong voice and it supports the mysteriousness of the, the setting and the story. And the, the prose is full of imagery and figurative language, which is not a bad thing. Um, but because this story is set in a in an unnatural world where odd things are happening, we suggest keeping the language more literal because there are places where he's like grabbing his um, he's grab he wants to grab his heart because he's worried that the creature will reach in and pull it out and um, and the language is lovely. Um, but we are not in a place at this point where we can tell, you know, is there is there really a risk that the messenger is going to do this? Is it, you know, so so especially when you're first getting people settled into the story, we suggest keeping the language pretty plain. And um, we're reminded of the quote um, when we were talking about this from Ben Bova in science, there is a dictum. Don't add an experiment to an experiment. Don't make things unnecessarily complicated. In writing fiction, the more fantastic the tale, the plainer the prose should be. Don't ask your readers to admire your words when you want them to believe your story. And um, again, that's Ben Bova. And I think, yeah, this is a pretty... Uh, fantastic tale and so I think making the prose a little more straightforward would help uh, would help understanding and grounding in the story I completely agree I thought a lot of the language is very pretty but it wasn't always accessible there were places where I didn't understand um, what he was trying to say 
or what was being said. There was a moment where he had trapped his um, courage in his throat, and that seemed strange to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just want to pop in because this is a topic I was going to talk about, but it seems appropriate now. Mm-hmm. Um, it, in some of that beautiful language, there's some word choices that um, are less, you know, they're not as precise as they should be, and they feel like they're chosen precisely but they lend more questions than clarity clarity so for example when he says he had to look up almost straight up at the swarthy skull so i've been assuming that this is a skull that didn't have flesh on it right swarthy means dark skinned so it's i'm wondering is there are there shards of flesh hanging off of it and maybe that's something i should have known earlier um or is it the wrong word choice? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's nothing but the ethereal cerulean glow of the moon. And um, for me, the moon doesn't glow with a sky blue color, which is what cerulean means. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, things like that. Yeah. Just be really careful with your words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, my final suggestion is to weed out the instances of passive voice. We've noted those in the, in the, our critique, um, because they, because again, this is a, uh, fantastical tale, um, and you want to keep the language as tight as possible. Uh, passive voice can make the prose drag, so we suggest cutting it out unless there's a deliberate reason to to include it. Um, and those reasons are when it doesn't matter who's doing the speaking um, or you don't know. And I think in most of these instances here, we were able to take the passive voice and rework it without, um, without too much difficulty. So I think that that... Uh, that might help also make this um, make this beginning a little lighter. Not the topic, obviously, but <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Readability. Okay, so um, thank you. Those are all good points, and I w- I agree. I think you mentioned that there's some repetitive detail in here, mm-hmm. and that so. When we're revisiting a topic, so we learn early on the messenger's going to tell him of a, of a murder, of a death. Mm-hmm. We already know what the message is mm-hmm. from the first paragraph. And every time that we talk about that afterwards, we're not learning new things, and we should be. Mm-hmm. So make sure that don't just bang your reader on the head and say, did you get it? Did you get it? There's going to be somebody who's going to die. Um, you want to layer that and make it richer. Mm-hmm. Add some. Add some of that you know, the hook, get that hook deep in their cheek and start to reel them in. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Speaking of imagery. Whoa. Ouch. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. I think I agree. Um, adding, you know, if you're going to repeat something like do repeat just a little bit of, you know, like if you're trying for a sort of, you know, the following the rule of three and including three mentions of something, you need to add a little something like what, what is the purpose of repeating it is also a good thing to think about. Um, and uh, what can you add to it that, that 
supports the story and increases the reader's understanding or um, conveys the mood or, you know, yeah, it's all in service of story. Yes. Yes. Okay. And then my biggest issue with this was um, I had a difficult time building sympathy with this main character. He's, mm -hmm. um, and I, you and I talked about this and we're kind of on in different places with this, but I felt mm -hmm. like he was really just barely tolerating his girlfriend, which, you know, why does he have a girlfriend then? Um, and there's just not any real engagement here. It's really sort of a passive character until he, until he's alone. And then he goes to the messenger and demands rather melodramatically to, you know, be told what the message is. Mm -hmm. And then he, again rather melodramatically demands to know some things from these ghosts and i i think because of the i'm not sure what he cares about he seems pretty depressed and disengaged i'm uh, i'm just not i don't have the sympathy i want to have for him mm-hmm mm -hmm. And then the, the other thing related to characters there are some minor point of view shifts in here where he's um you know, where Julia's pleading for him to start a conversation and it really, he's sort of reading that in things of that nature that are mm -hmm. noted in the show notes mm -hmm. or in the inline critique in the show notes. Uh -huh. um, those are worth watching for those minor strays away from the true third person limited point of view. Right. Right. Um, Thoughts on that? Yeah. Uh, on the sympathy. So yeah, we talked about this before and I had a different take um, and I'm not sure why, you know, some, you know, sometimes some of these things do come down to preference or frame of reference or goodness knows what. Um, and that's not to say that I've had a messenger of death in my kitchen. Um, but, uh, but I had some sympathy for this character and I, I felt like Robert is doing the best he can under really challenging circumstances. He's lost his father. His mother is working a lot and is probably not a terribly engaged parent because of circumstances. And so I felt like, you know, it's a crappy situation and God, what on earth, what would you do? Um, so, um, so I had more sympathy for him, but I do take, you know, I, what you're saying does make sense to me as well. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't really exhibit any concern for his girlfriend in the kitchen with all these specters. Mm -hmm. I mean, maybe there's no need to be concerned, but mm -hmm. um, I mean, it seems like he's seen them before. He knows what to expect. It's not like this is a brand new freak out situation for him. Mm -hmm. There's some little, you know, maybe just knowing where, how old he was would help. You know, if he were a mm -hmm. high schooler, that that would put me in a very different place versus a 25 year old who's still living at home and letting his mom cook a meatloaf, you know, uh -huh. if he's in college or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know, I was, um, I was thinking one other thing about this, um, is that of course a, a main characters and other characters don't have to be sympathetic. I mean, there are certainly, um, characters in literature that who are not very sympathetic but the the point is that the reader has to be able to relate to them in some way or connect with them or and the, at the very least care what happens to them care about whether they reach their goals and so 
to me, uh, this is another thing that, that comes down to um, knowing your reader and the, the readers that you're, that you're aiming for and whether they would be, they would find Robert unpalatable so that they couldn't keep reading or if they would find, you know, some sympathy for him and care about whether he's able to stop the next murder or, um, or at least make some progress. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And not that it's related to this uh, main character, but I would add fascinated by mm, to your yes. list that you know yeah. like hannibal hannibal is not a character that people really want to no, see themselves in we can't but they are yeah they are definitely compelled and fascinated yeah to see what he does next all right yeah all right so yeah. how about an editorial mission for today do you have one i do as a matter of fact uh, today's editorial mission is check your figurative language. So we want you to, to this week, pick a random 10 pages of your manuscript to read and check your figurative language in it. Are your metaphors appropriate? Do they make sense? Are there too many of them? Could you add some to spice up your story? And I'm seeing a typo in my notes and it's making me crack up a little bit. Um, so, so look at the figurative language. Is it appropriate to your story? Is it serving your story? And if that in that 10 pages, you find a lot of problems, then you'll want to look at really look at that across the whole manuscript. Nice. Yeah. It, um, a little goes a long way. Right. And make sure. sure like, make sure that those things that you're highlighting you're not just writing pretty language to write pretty language, but that those things really do need to have attention called to them, that you want to anchor that moment in time because figurative language will slow your reader down mm -hmm. and, and really say, pay attention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Please remember the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute, which you can find at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Don't forget to get more five-star reviews of your books, become a premium member at Author Marketing Club, and get access to their award-winning reviewer grabber tool. Check it out at www.authormarketingclub.com. All right, that's it for today. Please remember to visit us on the web at writership.org. Join our crew and you'll get a free copy of the Writership Sampler, a book full of exercises and writing prompts to inspire you. You can also learn more about our editing services and sign up for our monthly editing newsletter. We will see you next time on the Writership Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Writership Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing the show with your author friends and communities. And right after you do that, make sure to contact the hosts, Leslie and Alyssa, to help you find the treasure in your manuscript head on over to writership.org forward slash podcast to submit your pages.